Oh, who's doing this episode? Uh, I'm not sure. I did the first one, so I guess I won't be doing this one. I leave it up to to you and your valiant crew as to who you want to do it. Let me look it up. Well, I I already have it here. I can just do it. What do we call this show? Toon Trek. Toon Trek. No, I have no idea. I just came up with that. Two D, the flat frontier. These are the voyages of the Pancake Enterprise. Its rotoscoped mission to repeat the same animation and music, to transcend the limitations of 70s animation, to go boldly where no cartoon has gone before. Toon Trek, based upon Star Trek, created by Gene Roddenberry, starring. Paul Spataro. Also starring Dave Pascarella. With Bill Robinson and Andrew Leyland as Andy. Production assistants J. David Wheater. Hello and welcome to the extension of Listen to the Prophets. Listen to the animation. <laughs> The extension, we've built it at the back. That's it's right. where we can put Bill when he gets older. We're just going to put him in the granny flat at the back of the Listen to the Prophet's household. What's he doing back there? Ah, oh, he's still podcasting. Mm. <laughs> oh, he's out there moving comic boxes around. He does it all day. He lifts one, he puts it back, he lifts another. We just leave him alone. He's happy. <laughs> Let him do his own thing. So with me is uh, Andrew... Andrew uh, Leyland, the um, governor of um, Mantilles. Yes, I am the governor yes. of Mantilles. I could be Bob Wesley from the Ultimate Computer. Welcome, Commodore Dunsell. Bob Wesley Crusher. Bob Wesley Crusher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shut up, Wesley. He's and that, he's like Mr. Depressing in this. Yeah, there's only five thousand kids. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's losing his entire planet to a big gas cloud. Of course, he's miserable in this one. He's not going to be doing a clown show, is he? But he's got it's... no energy towards. Hey, what can we come up with to live? <laughs> Speaking of gas well, clouds, it's it's Jimmy Doo. He's he's Schlepprock. Oh, wowsy, wow, wow, the planet's going to eat us. We need, we need to go fast. It was Jimmy Doohan's sixth voice of the day. He'd had enough. He was done. I don't know what? if Andy knows who Schlepprock is. I don't know, but I like the impression. Oh, okay. What a, what does Jimmy Doohan do? I mean, and, and I like James Doohan, but what does he do in the voices that made him so good that they said, oh, we need to use him for all these voices? All he does is say, he was, he was Gene Roddenberry's poker mate. You know, I, I I guess give the description of the episode before we get into this, but I want to talk okay. more about that once we start discussing the episode. So that was Gas Cloud Paul, and then we have... Um... Uh, also, Dave, uh, I got no piffy name for you, Dave. Uh, you, you'll be the uh, you'll be the brain. That's a that's a pattern with us. I don't get a name. I don't get a list thing. Well, it is what it is. You're not even on on. on I'm a, not even on the show. <laughs> you're not even here. Nah. We're gonna have to. Who are I'm you? gonna have to use. I'm. I'm <laughs> I don't I'm, know. I'm gonna have to reach out with my Vulcan mind meld to the air to try to reach Dave. 
All I do is write a check once a month to someone. I, I, to, I don't know. I have to sit in a chair in the middle of the bridge and spread my legs and arms and go, Hello? <laughs> is this Hello? thing on? Is Dave there? And, and you'll go, Hello? Hello? <laughs> oh, uh, I guess we shouldn't be so mean. So, we are here to discuss the Season 1, Episode 3, episode of Star Trek, the animated series, One of Our Planets is Missing, directed by Hal Sutherland and written by Mark Daniels. And this original air date was September 22nd, 1973. I think I was four. I was one and a half. Oof. I wasn't even one. I was like 40. (laughs) Paul drove over to watch the thing on TV, had a beer. Playing poker with Jimmy Doohan and... Uh, <laughs> well, back then, the legal drinking age was 12, I think. <laughs> so our, our plot goes like this. The Enterprise encounters a giant cloud that consumes planets that lie in its path. They determine it is headed for Mantilles home to a Federation colony of over 82 million inhabitants governed by retired Starfleet officer Robert Wesley Crusher. I mean, uh, Robert Wesley. Captain Kirk contacts Wesley, who I guess he woke up from a nap, but he has only enough time (laughs) and starships to evacuate a tiny fraction of the planet's children. Oh, think of the children. When phasers have no effect, Kirk takes the Enterprise inside the cloud in an attempt to stop it. Hmm, let me see. Cloud endangering a planet, moving in slowly, Enterprise goes in. Andy, does this sound vaguely familiar to you? Uh, well, let's also add that the Enterprise is the only ship in the sector capable of dealing with this problem. Hmm, okay. Hmm. Uh, moving Eight, on. Uh, 800,000 kilometers across. Yeah. That's a big cloud. Avoiding obstacles and proceeding from one chamber to another, the ship begins to lose power. One chamber contains protrusions consisting of pure antimatter, which Chief Engineer Scott beams aboard in a special container, and he has to have, for some reason, the only person who can help him is the effing captain, and uses to replenish the warp drive engines. Science officer Spock discovers that the cloud has a brain. Brain, brain, what is brain? Kirk orders preparations be made to self-destruct the Enterprise in the creature's brain in order to kill it. Seeking an alternative to loss of life, however, he suggests Spock use the Vulcan mind meld to communicate with the entity. Since physical contact with the entity is impossible, the ship's sensors are focused on the electrical impulses of the entity's synapses, translating them into thought in order to accomplish the mind meld. Spock tells it that there is life on the planet it plans to consume by showing it pictures of a 1973 Lassie cartoon and allows it to perceive them through Spock's... I love the that in the data tapes. Yeah, 23rd century, and they've got all of entertainment at their fingertips, and they have a 1973 Lassie animated cartoon. <laughs> Just telling you where those stills came from, man. <laughs> Okay, Spock tells it that there is life on the planet it plans to consume and allows it to perceive them through Spock's own eyes. Not wanting to kill other life forms, the cloud entity agrees to leave the Enterprise alone and return to its place of origin. The end. 
You know, this does miss the original series music, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And I have to say, I watched this last night because I. Okay, where has the streaming for this gone? It does not seem to be on Netflix now. Oh, it's on my Netflix. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have access to that, but I only can watch that on another TV, and I don't want to bother the kids. So I dug out my DVD, threw it in my PlayStation, and discovered a nice little thing. I could play it at 1.5 speed. So, why would, why so would James doing do voices are even higher. And, and So it was even higher, faster, and quicker, and over faster. And Captain's log starting. But it was still it was still understandable. The music was quicker. I mean, it was a much faster episode. Did you play Yakety Sax in the background while you were watching? Hello, hello. Yes, yes. Box, box. Here, here. Yes, yes, yes. It wasn't a bad episode. I mean, it's another interesting science fiction idea, although. The director of this also directed the uh, the Doomsday Machine episode. So well, this has got a lot of parallels to Doomsday Machine and Devil in the Dark. Uh, obviously, the motion picture you mentioned already. What's the mm-hmm. one where they where they go into the giant amoeba? The immunity oh. syndrome. Immunity yeah. syndrome. I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of parallels and stuff from the uh, from the series. Which kind of makes but, you like. Hmm. There, yeah, there is, but I don't know if having watched all of Discovery this year, apart from the two-part finale, but wasn't it refreshing to see Captain Kirk, who people constantly badger on at the moment, that, and are constantly saying things that... Oh, okay, sorry. And are constantly saying, well, if Kirk did it, you wouldn't have a problem with it to explain the ridiculous command decisions that Michael Burnham makes. Isn't it nice to see a Star Trek character try to communicate with the problem and go through the entire episode continuing to try to communicate with the problem even when he's made the decision look we're going to have to kill it we have no choice this entire planet is at stake he's still looking for alternate viewpoints and an alternate way out of the problem and he's not just shooting all the people dead Michael Burnham <laughs> you know what's, what's cool too is he's got a callback on a show that really did had very little use for continuity He's got the call yeah. back to the original series when he says, you know, I once said that we, you know, we choose not to kill. Yeah, he's test of again. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. he, you know, he questions that, which is kind of cool. I like that. That, you know, it shows you that the people writing these episodes actually had a feel for the characters mm-hmm. and the series. So I like that. I like the, you know, the dilemma of what to do. Uh, you know, you got to remember it's a, it's a 22 minute cartoon. You know, that's. The audience is going to be primarily kids, even though you're trying to appeal to an older audience. So you have to dumb it down a little bit, you know. And then you know we've mm-hmm. talked about. I don't. I don't want to make this show about you know ragging on the animation style or the music because I think we've kind of done that already. No, I think we kind of have to accept the animation is what it is. You know, it's what 45 years old at this point. You can't change it. There's no point moaning about it. We can have a few laughs at its expense, but it is what it is. It's they did it. It's the but the story to this one. I was really affected by the story to this. And again, I don't know if it's because we've been watching Discovery more recently than the old Star Treks. But I was really affected by this idea that these guys have are out there. They have discovered something completely new and alien that initially they perceived to be only 
unintelligent, but they learn out they learn that it's actually a different form of intelligence to what we are, and they are going out of their way to try to communicate with it. And killing it is a fallback. And yeah. isn't that what Star Trek was? I, I well, like that and, aspect of it too. I, and I, they're, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Bill. No, that's okay. No, I mean they're they're gonna sacrifice themselves. It's not like they're just killing it and moving on. They're going to blow up the ship. Mm-hmm. In order to save 82 million inhabitants of yep. the planet, and the, I think the satisf- including Flatrock. <laughs> I think one of the satisfying things about it as well is not being in live action. You've not got William Shatner allegedly counting his lines. He's clearly delivering them into a tape recorder and then buggering off and doing what else he's doing. So it means that the writers can give the other characters stuff to do. And Scotty and Uhura have really good roles in this episode for a 22-minute cartoon show. Even McCoy, and he even covers, this is how good it is, McCoy covers the we-have-to-be-educational part of the story in a way that isn't cloying and doesn't smack you over the head that he's doing it. When he's explaining to Kirk Mm. what bacteria is and how it all works. And I'm sat there going... This is written for kids 45 years ago, and I'm learning something here. <laughs> mm-hmm. What do you think? This is the first real, I guess, interaction we had with uh, Lieutenant Eriks. What do you What do you think? I like him as a character. I like him as a character design. I'm still never convinced by anyone that has an arm in the middle of their chest. How How on evolution's sake... Is that even practical in any level? But my God, his voice grates on my nerves. Oh, the voice is so wrong. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a, again. It's that's what I, you know we started to talk about earlier. It's James doing just doing a oh hi, I'm doing another voice because I'm a man of a thousand voices, but it's going to sound exactly like the other ones I do. <laughs> Are you kidding me, James? Doing does Eric's? I didn't know that. Okay. Oh, did you know? Did you I'm not kidding, realize I'm that? Kidding. That's just how convincing he was, wasn't it? Only because Rich Little wasn't available. <laughs> I mean, shouldn't shouldn't Arix have like a, a deep, you know, gravel, almost like like the Gorn? Shouldn't he mm-hmm. talk like the Gorn? Yes. You would think so. We're going in, so, Captain. <laughs> you know. Yeah, but you need somebody that that maybe can talk a little faster than a Gorn as, as your uh, your navigator. That's true. You only have twenty-two minutes. Yeah, yes. Where are too late? We went right by it. You know. But can I get another navigator, please? The one that doesn't need a sun lamp. Now, didn't they say something about it being against Starfleet? It was it Starfleet rules to kill intelligent life? If, avo- if avoidable, I think was the implication. Because uh, I was going to say. What yeah. about the Klingons and the Romulans and Well, the, Gary the Klingons Mitchell. are intelligent, right? Well, even Gary Mitchell, go back and watch that. I would argue Kirk tries every conceivable outcome before settling on the idea that he has to kill him. He doesn't just go to shooting him dead, Michael Burnham. He actually goes through every possible permutation. Even when Spock is telling him, you have to kill him. Kirk's like, no, there's got to be another way. And that's that's a part of his... I'm sorry, this is turning into I'm going to defend Captain Kirk episode, isn't it? But this one of the things that is really bugging me about Star Trek conversation at the minute. You wouldn't have a problem with this if Kirk did it. Kirk was a fucking good commander. He was smart. He was compassionate. Yes, he was passionate. Yes, he did occasionally go a little bit over the top. But he exhausted every available opportunity open to him until he went to open fire. And I can't honestly say that about Michael Burnham and Discovery, where she's just blowing people away left, right, and centre. It's it's 
it's just really irking me at the minute. As well, this idea that all he did was go from place to place shagging green women. Kirk never shagged a green woman until JJ's movie. That was Captain Pike. I can't argue with you. I agree 110% with every single thing you've just said. <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest thing I walked away from it with is, and you, you hit on it, is the fact that the killing it was plan B. That was yeah. the backup. That's if I can't come up with a way to avoid it. And clearly, you know, they made it very clear as they discussed it that it, it, it troubled him to have to go to that option. And he was looking for other ways to avoid that, which the way they presented it wasn't, OK, we don't want to do this because we're killing ourselves. It was we don't want to do this because we don't want to kill. Yeah. So I thought that was good. Um it did, I, I almost, you know, I went into my into predator mode though, because I almost felt like I heard Kirk say, "If it has a brain, we can kill it." <laughs> <laughs> so I have a backstory for Commodore Wesley. So one, Shut up, you Wesley. know, he cha- one he changed his hair color. He changed his entire face, pretty much. <laughs> so he changes his hair, hair. So why? So remember, he was in the uh, the M5 war game. So I think he was so distraught and affected by losing his crew members on the Lexington and and the other deaths because he was in charge of the task force that that's why he left Starfleet hmm. and he went to like the most remote, distant, inhabited planet in the Federation just to get away from all the death and killing, only to have it come to his only doorstep. Only to have it follow him. Yeah. <laughs> I had not considered that. That's an excellent backstory. And, and who I'm... brings it but Captain Effin Dunsell? <laughs> I can't get away from this guy. <laughs> well, I, I love that as a continuity reference as well. They make no reference whatsoever to the ultimate computer. It's merely, it's, it's Bob Wesley. He, he resigned from Starfleet. So if you know he was in a previous episode. You've got, oh, that's a nice touch. And if you don't, it's never mentioned again. And if you name me governor of your planet, I promise you fun and joy <laughs> forever. I quite liked Commodore Wesley. He was much better than that Commodore who took over in the Galileo 7. He was a dick. <laughs> well, that was the, uh, that wasn't a c- c- Commodore. That was uh, Ambassador Fox, if I remember correctly. He was, oh, he was, he was a politician, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. But yeah, I, Commodore Decker uh, is the one in the Doomsday Machine. Yes, which is ironic given that it's his son who would end up being in Star Trek the Motion Picture, which is essentially the same plot. <laughs> Gene Roddenberry must have loved this story. Oh, he clearly. This, mm. you know, his whole thing was he really wanted, he really wanted to go with the, you know, they go to be God thing. And I think he kept coming up with variations on it, which they'd allow him to do, because nobody was going to allow him to have them meet God. You know, mm-hmm. And then they finally kind of, you know, touched it or closer to it with, you know, what does God need with the starship? But you know, it seems like that was his goal throughout was to do that. Yeah, and I, I like I, I was very interested as well in the fact that you've got animation, you've got an unlimited budget allegedly, and they do an episode that takes place entirely on the bridge. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some nice, some nice overlay effects when the Enterprise is entering the cloud. A lot of rotoscope. Yeah, and then it, and, and it wraps the, around, wraps around yeah. the cells and and everything. And I can't remember. Is this the first time Spock does a distance mind meld? No, no, he does one in the series, doesn't he? Distance. Well, yeah, yeah. Not actually, he would ching. He would do it like through a wall and try to get a guard's attention. Like, whoa, what? Yeah. Chase the Armageddon, I think, is the one he does it through the wall. Yes, he does. Yeah. And then I think he does it with the uh, the ones with the 
No, not the Capellans. Where uh, the people get everybody gets turned into the little cubes and gets crushed. People. Get oh, crushed. buy a new the name. Now uh, I will do a yeah. mind meld while standing on my head and drinking a glass of water. So that would be fantastic. At the end of the episode, Spock makes contact with the alien and tells, and basically hypnotizes it to send it back to where it came from. No, it showed it the air of its way, and it needed to just trace its it's way back home and don't do anything and go to basically told it to go to your room so 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 this thing has kind of traveled i assume you know kind of not mindlessly but thoughtlessly uh seeking mm-hmm. food because it was unaware of you know life that life Ooh, was hey, of us. something to eat mm, all right so it's galactus is what it was yeah yeah uh, yeah, the shitty gonna, cloud Galactus from the films. Yes. Now it's just going to return home have, uh, to death. Wouldn't it have used up the food supply where it was? Isn't that why it would have made its way over here? Yeah. Possibly. So you sent it back to starve? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And then, and, you know, there's... And, this... and, and he made it feel bad about it, too. You're going to kill Lassie. Your... What's wrong with you? Now, this is your Big Mac speaking. We're alive in here. Don't eat us. Why not have James Doohan do the voice of the cloud, too? <laughs> no, because Magil Barrett needed a paycheck. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, it just got me wondering, though, like, and it's kind of something I've wondered with Galactus, too, is they're, they're thinking, oh, you know, just find planets that don't have viable life forms on it. Okay, so now, like, if... Galactus came to our solar system and said, "Well, I'm going I'm to just eat Jupiter because there's no nothing living on it, you know." And he doesn't realize Thanos is on there and stuff. Uh, wouldn't that like just destroy the solar system anyway? Wouldn't it throw off the balance of things, gravity-wise and everything, and just kind of like kill all the planets? Mm. I don't know about that. I think if you eat the sun, but I don't know about the stuff past us. All right, so he comes over and he eats Venus. That might screw us up because it's before us, but I think afterwards you're all right. You can have Jupiter, Saturn, and Uranus. Leave everything else. I don't know. Why don't you go spin you that theory have to my Khan? Spin that, spin that theory to Khan and see how much. Ah, I think we're losing a planet. It's going to really hurt. This is at the Alpha 5. I got a better science question. So the ship runs on antifreeze, right? And not antifreeze? <laughs> What's that fish smell? I don't know. I was under the impression, though, it had to be created or something by specific crystals. All I kept hearing with this was Lex Luthor saying, as long as we have antimatter pasta fuzzle, the ship will run on it. Don't we need true lithium or something? I think the dilithium controls or functions or narrows the, like, allows it to take place or can direct the energy I'm not really sure 100% but I still think they I think they still need antimatter mm-hmm. and they need the crystals to kind of control it <clears throat> I haven't really delved too deeply into that we gotta get get Blaine on the horn oh yeah we we uh, we got to see the return of uh, of uh, Kyle with his mustache yes his great mustache yeah. And did you all notice William Shatner's delivery of uh, the line indigestion? Let's hope he doesn't have indigestion. <laughs> I don't like nobody says it like that, Bill. You say sabotage, I say s- sabotage. <laughs> Never. 
Sabotage. Is it Sabotage or Sabotage? I don't know. I don't even he, he, he said it like there's hyphens in it. Indigestion. And it's, it's not like him to pause in the middle of a word. Normally the middle of a sentence, yes. Maybe he was trying out for a Pepto-Bismol commercial. Upset <laughs> oh, stomach. Diarrhea. Indigestion. When a grass cloud knocks on your door. <laughs> uh, I, do we have any uh, anything else to... Uh, I think we've kind of covered this. I guess we're ready to rate it, are we not? I guess. And you did the synopsis, so you would go first, Bill. Oh. Sorry, I was letting the gas cloud go. <laughs> I think I'll give it... Uh, it's all right. It's not bad, but it's still... I, I think I can only give it two... 2.5 uh, 2.5 broken up planets <laughs> for uh, its, I mean it, it, it's alright but it's you know it's, it's not great I mean I don't know if I'm, I'm knocking it down because of the animation I'm trying not to because I'm trying to just look at the story do you know but, the uh, thing to do with, with the cartoon series actually just listen to it while yeah. you're kind of doing something mm-hmm. because if you just listen to it it's there the feeling's there Mm-hmm. You know, some of the dialogue's a little bit flatly delivered, mostly by Shatner, who yeah, really does seem I, like I he's phoning it. it in. Yeah, well, <laughs> but, uh, Shatner really does seem like he's phoning it in more than anyone else. But if you close your eyes, it feels like Star Trek. It just feels like like Star Trek if Big Finish were doing it. <laughs> but this is just an average episode because it's it's. I see. I, I don't agree with that either. I, I'd give this. I'm going to give this three and a half. Yeah, but the plot, it's like, it's rehashed plots from other That's episodes. very, very true. But it's its a good, solid, late second season episode where they were churning out good, solid episodes week after week and there was really a stinker. And again, some of it may be coming from what I've been watching recently that bears the Star Trek name compared to watching this. Whereas this little 22-minute cartoon actually felt like Star Trek. It actually felt like the Star Trek we'd grown up with that, yes, did have action in it and did have fistfights in it and, and was geared toward a mass audience rather than the cult appeal that everyone seems to think it has. But for me, just that whole, that entire dynamic between those three characters was perfectly in place. And all the way through it, you've got Kirk agonising over his decision. That's not a warmonger. That's not somebody who disobeys orders at every conceivable drop of a hat. That's somebody who's a considered and capable commander. And on that level, I really enjoyed watching this one this time because it felt like a proper episode of Star Trek. And as we've mentioned as we've gone through it, yes, it's derivative of other episodes and it's derivative of a film that has yet to happen. But that doesn't mean it's not a good episode in and of itself. And yes, it's a bottle show, but so what? Some of the best episodes of bottle shows, The Ultimate Computer's a bottle show, all take place on the Enterprise. It's a great episode. And I, for me, I, this felt like an episode of Star Trek, animation be damned. And it felt like a good, solid, enjoyable episode. It's not going to be on anyone's top ten list of best episodes ever. It may not even crack the top five best episodes of the animated show. But there's nothing wrong with it. It isn't shit. And you're not watching it scratching your head over what the character's decisions are, going, what the hell are you doing that for? 
I tend to agree with you for the most part. I, I rated this as a 3.0. Uh, my, my criticisms of it pretty much are of some of the voice characterizations and the animation, and I didn't want that to really impact my rating of the show. Uh, I found the story to be entertaining. It is, again, derivative, as you say, but I thought it was somewhat thought-provoking. And, you know, all things considered, I found it to be entertaining. So, 3.0. I went with 3.0, too. Uh... I have to be honest with you, I don't have the problem with the animation that some of you do. I kind of feel like this is what I grew up with, and for me it's just like, hey, I remember when this was all that was out there. You know, to me it's the effect of watching a black and white movie. But uh, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Not great, but good. And uh, that's why I gave it three balls of pasta fuzzle. Hmm. All right, so... That's what we think. What does Celine think? I don't know. <laughs> Incoming transmission. One of our planets is missing. A classic anomaly episode written by the director of the Doomsday Machine and more. It's definitely in the same vein. Weird, giant thing in space, and the crew have to resolve the situation. It's also classic intellectual science fiction in that there is no villain per se but a puzzle that needs to be solved, and a threat that is ended by understanding and communication. This is very much in lines with Gene's original vision for the series, I would say. The problem is that the antimatter in that volume would destroy anything on contact. I appreciate that the Enterprise used energy shields for defense, as that would provide the appropriate buffer. But the planets would be annihilated as they entered the cloud, taking out an equal mass of the cloud along with them. So it works if you don't understand the science behind it, better than it does if you do. Yeah, I don't understand the science plane, so we're good with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, you know, to me, uh, quite honestly, when they talk about antimatter, it's more of just a conceptual thing than anything mm-hmm. that I can wrap my brain around. I think the thing with it as well is I bought the science, even though you don't have to understand the science if you buy into it. It wasn't Voyager's ream of techno babble. If we reroute the tachyon particles through the deflector shield, we can create an antimatter burst of proton energy. It wasn't any of that. Sh- it felt genuine science. Whether it was or wasn't, I don't know. But to the, the lay viewer, it felt real. You know, you know something I, I forgot to mention when I was watching it that I just kind of appreciated. Uh, I don't remember if it's a taste of Armageddon. I think it is where uh, Scotty is in charge of the ship, and he keeps saying, "I'll not lower the screens." And it's the only time I ever remembered them calling it screens instead of shields. Mm. Uh, and in this one, Kirk calls them screens at one point. Deflector screens. Because there's shields and then there's the, the deflector screens. I believe the deflector screens are more to, like, keep micrometeorites and mm-hmm. things from going through the ship, whereas the shields are more like the uh, deflect energy, uh, weaponry, um, and such. See, I didn't realize there was even a distinction between the two. I just kind of thought it was just two different names for the same thing. Like, the screens are more like a navigational thing, just like, like they're always kind of up, just to keep you from getting punctured. Mm -hmm. Okay. Whereas the shields are a little different. All right. Thank you for explaining that, because, again, I I just thought it was a different term for the same exact thing. I didn't realize it was, uh, that there was a distinction. At least I believe I'm right. You are correct. In my my brain, you're right. It doesn't matter. And, and I don't know if I've ever said that for anything you've ever said to me before. Hey, there's a first. <laughs> All right, so is that it for uh, one of our planets is missing? It I mean, is, so. yes. All right, so be back with us next time when what will happen, Andy? 
I have no idea. What's the next episode? <laughs> Next, next time on an all new whatever this is. I'll tell you in a second what the next episode the Lori, is. The Lorelei single. Oh, right. Okay. The Lorelei. I got nothing pithy for you. Next time on an all new episode of Toon Track, which is what I think we're calling this show. Lorelei Gilmore from the Gilmore Girls shows up to beguile the Starship Enterprise in the Lorelei signal. I am experiencing audiovisual suggestion, Captain. So am I. Magnolias and Blossom. You are. Oh, such wondrous ones. They honor us. I am Thela, the head female. Welcome, James Kirk. Soon all the men on your ship will feel as you do. They are all needed, and they will join us. I want an all-woman security team on every transporter immediately. What are you doing? Taking command of this ship. Release Captain Kirk and his men, or we will destroy your temple. They're drowning. Where are they? La, 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 la. <laughs> I'd be quite entertained if Lorelai Gilmore shows up in this episode and she just talks so fast that the rest of the crew don't get a word in. Fox just like, <laughs> the, the torrent of illogic. <laughs> he just falls over. <laughs> Captain Kirk's like, I have never seen any 1940s movies. I don't get any of your references. Oh, Kirk would be all, he'd be like, well, hello. Uh, hello. Andy Lorelei hates when Gilmore. people say that about him. <laughs> You're Lorelai Gilmore. I understand you have a 16-year-old daughter. We can leave her. <laughs> we can. I was going to... We can leave her down with Spock. While you and I yeah, yeah, that's... get to know each other better. I wasn't going anywhere with a 16-year-old daughter thing. Okay. Uh, that's like, you. Whoa, whoa, you whoa, did whoa. Not. I didn't do anything. I did, I did nothing. <laughs> I am not called Luke, but we can share a coffee if you wish. <laughs> Alright, I guess we're done, aren't we? Yes. Toon Trek is based upon Star Trek, created by Gene Roddenberry, and is a Two Two Freaks presentation. It's hosted by Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, Dave Pascarella, Bill Robinson, and produced and guest-hosted on occasion by J. David Wheaton. All music and clips are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a review show, and as such, protected under fair use. Yeah, let's go with that. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Toon Trek. Put it up in a chat somewhere? Why can't I find it? Oh, there it is. It's there. Where is it? I uh. put it. I put it in the chat window. Oh, the chat of. Uh, no, you uh, put it uh, in the in one the, in the with Scott. Oh, I did. I didn't put it in with you guys because I don't like you. Nobody likes me. Yeah, let me. <coughs> I don't like you either. <laughs> We're wanted men. You'll be dead. Bill, you know, Bill. That makes you the walrus guy, right? <laughs> 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 